Hello. Hello. Oh, my goodness. Oh, you got the beeping. Uh, I think they're wrapping up for the day. The, but it uh, today, I just I just arrived at the office a minute ago, um, and I can pretty much infer that the rumble was significant enough. I mean, it's some rumbly rumble that knocked some of my uh, nano leaf white lights off the wall. Oh, see, now they're sawing. It sounds like they're sawing, John. Can you hear that? Wait, can you now clipping my nails? Yeah, yeah. What, what kind of clipper do you use? You got a kind you like? I don't. I know you recommend that weird clipper, and I keep meaning it's not to buy weird. it. It's not weird just because it's from, from Japan, John. Do you say that about, about your mangas I did, I and your did animes? Buy, I did buy one fancy uh, clipper that somebody recommended online. And so I don't know if this is this a problem. I thought they were too sharp. You thought they were too sharp. <laughs> too sharp, yeah. And you were thinking, like, well, is, how is that possible? How is it bad for like, them to be too sharp? If you had been, well, you know, think about think about your knives. I mean, first thing everybody knows who has any sense is that a sharp knife is safer than an unsharp knife. But I'm here to tell you, as somebody who sharpens his knives, well, I, technically I hone them, but I do hone them. I hone some today. I hone. I'm a honer, like a harmonica. Uh, I I'm hone Matt some. Honan. Ha. <laughs> Uh, that if you go from using a whatever, to me, the canonical example is always like a, like the Walmart paring knife I had in college. If you go from using a not very sharp knife to a very sharp knife, it can be pretty shocking because you, for the same reason, right? I think that's what you're talking about. Whereas if you have a knife sharp and you keep it sharp, like you're going to really want it that way. Whenever I've done sharpening, I test it on lemons and I, I did that just today. No, it's not. It's not that reason. There is a specific reason why oh. I felt it was too sharp, right? So, and maybe I'm imagining. Does, this, does, but does but it? Uh, I want to guess. Is it? Does it um, conflict with your technique? Because no. like wiping, I really think I might be trimming my nails wrong. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> picture picture a, a nail or just like a, a horizontal plank that you're going to be cutting through. Can, now can we're it, like zooming way. John, in John can it be got... a fingernail, not a toenail? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to imagining your right. Um, ring your right ring finger, right? And so now we're gonna, you know, and we're zoomed way in. So here comes the big clipper, it's Uh-oh. got it blades Look. on both sides, it's gonna crunch part. down and, and go through the thing. Uh, the too sharp thing comes in here, like I feel like it's so sharp that it, you know, immediately just easily, you know, goes into the nail and 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 cuts through it. But the the nail, unlike just like a plank of wood or whatever, doesn't stay like it doesn't leave just like a rectangular edge. Oh, right? this is why I say technique. Oh, you're you're getting right at my problem with nail clippers. I'm and I'm saying viewed from the side, like in profile, like cross section, not looking at it from above. So you're not holding the your right hand up in the air and extending your your right ring finger. And with your left hand you come in that's what I'm I'm looking at it from looking at your finger from the side. Right. And okay. I feel like I gotta find a place. It's like imagine kind of like in a cartoon when like the uh the end of the gun blows off and the things curl back. Oh, absolutely. Right? I feel yeah, that's like what it's happens so sharp. That's what happens if you stuff a carrot in a shotgun. Yeah, it slides so easily into the nail that the nail that is left, the cut end of the nail, isn't just rectangular, but instead curls out on the top and bottom. You know what I mean? Like, it's got like a burr, like when you, when you like sharpen when a knife you sharpen and it gets a knife. the burr. Yeah, exactly. Right? And I don't want that burr on my nails. Whereas if you have a dull or mm. duller nail clipper what it does is it squeezes the nail first because it's not sharp enough to just slide right into that uh. nail because it's not really sharp it squeezes the nail and it squeezes and squeezes and then it goes ka-chink and it finally goes through and that squeezing pinches the ends of the nail leaving the cut end tapered instead of 
spread out like the end of the and gun. And I guess it also gives you a little bit more, like this is the kind of thing where I got to put on my glasses and turn on a bright light because that's where I am in life. Mm-hmm. And, and then when I when I do that, it sounds like what you're describing though also gives you a chance to kind of get your legs under you with, with the cutting process. And, and with the one that's too sharp, it's not going to squeeze. You're going to get a burr, but it's also that when, when you're just kind of still finding your way, like you, you might accidentally cut off too much nail or cut, cut at a weird angle that you didn't expect because, because you're just starting. I'm pretty careful, but yeah, if mm. you do, you, with the very sharp one, there's no second chances. If you, if you think about doing it here mm-hmm. and you press a little bit and go change your mind, you now might you're as well in bad haircut territory. You just got to make the other side match. Oh God, the hair, the haircut story on, on erotic online. I've heard that before. You've told that story before, but it's always good. Ooh. Uh, here's, here's my thing is like, I, this is a thing where like, there could probably be like a Randall Monroe thing about this that I would read. It might even exist. Uh, but like, I struggle a little bit with the shape of nail clippers where like, I understand they're curved. I should probably just learn how to use nail. It's like wiping. I should probably, I should probably well, get, uh, I, I get on master class. On that. As someone with a lot of toe experience. Oh, geez. Uh, what I, I'm told, we said we weren't going to talk about that. What I'm told is that for the toenails in particular to avoid ingrowns, yeah. you want them to be straight across, like not curved at the end. To not align. I don't know what the, the parts are called, but you got the white part you want to clip. And then is, it, is the cuticle the pink part? Or is that the part where it attaches to your finger at the bottom? Oh, yeah. And just to, just to clarify for all the people who are going to write and I understand that if I have that burr, the whole point is I'm supposed to file my nails afterwards, but it's, oh, too, much work. it's too much work for me. I don't, I'm not a nail file. I do use a nail file. I have a nail file. I have one of those ones that has different textures on it, but like, I don't want to do that. I'd rather just use the nail clipper that pinches and, and then do the clipping. And then I can see myself being there someday, but I'm not ready for that yet. I'm not ready to become a multiple implement person. There's also those things, those cutters that, that look kind of like a, a hole punch. But I get confused about about how I'm supposed to utilize the curve part because when I was a kid, that curve probably accidentally, that curve mostly conformed to the size of most of my little fingernails. But now today, I, I, I kind of I can't imagine trying to be a responsible adult cutting a nail where I didn't do f- like four or maybe five separate cuts. And again, I'm not using a nail file. Yeah, no, it's not. You're going to do separate cuts, but if it's curved, you'll be able to like. Fingers should still be. I'm gonna send you a picture of my rank of the old man finger. Okay, I, I I cut uh, mine today too, so I'll, maybe I'll treat you to the same. Because I, these haven't been covered. But my fingernails are beautiful. My toes used to be like this. Oh, that sucks, John. I know, but you anyway, could've, you could have been a toe model. That's a curve, and that matches the end of my finger. It's too long. That one does need to be cut. I do always like to leave a little bit of white, but anyway, that's a curve. That's fine for your fingers. But what they say, and what my podiatrist Holy says. Holy crap, anyway, John! That oh my goodness. I got, some, I got some handsome nails. I got, you got I you got a gray, you got a gray hand. You got a gray, that's your thumb. I'm guessing, right? Yeah. That's a real. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I'm not. This is not. I'm not like a Westminster judge or something. But that looks like a pretty good cut. But it's not straight across. You, you're you're right. doing it's toes that got to be straight. Yeah, and that's what they say. They say for the toes know. make them actually straight across, which seems mm. weird, and it seems like it would be pointy. I'm gonna send you the edit. Of the of the straight across, like what they're saying, like it's, okay. it's, obviously you wouldn't do this to your fingernail; it would be madness. But for the toes, they say do it like this because if you do the toes uh, in a curve, since your toe extends out past it, you get the little ingrowns at the corners. I mean, can you imagine? But that's what they're saying: straight across like that. Well, not that low though, right? But I mean, I have to do that here because it's so curved. But you're, but I see what you're saying. So what what John has sent me is the same drawing, but with a little pencil line to show what straight means. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I guess to each his own. Um, there is a part of me, 
how can I explain this? This, this is true for a lot of things in my life. I, I've never, I don't think I've ever said this out loud, but in, you know, there's that, I have my bit about like how I don't like going to the doctor because I really don't like going to the doctor. But like, I wish there's a lot of things in life where I want a combination of personal care and instruction. Like those things were like, oh, in the seventies, like I think car talk, you would know this, you worked for car talk. Didn't they have a thing where like you come into their garage and like use their tools and they'd help you out and they charge mm-hmm. you, but they'd help you. That's kind a terrible of, idea. Terrible idea. Why? In the seventies? It didn't work financially. <laughs> oh, I bet the liability's bad. It was, it was, they thought it was a great idea, but the, it sounds like a good idea to people who have never run a business before and it turned out to be a terrible idea. Well, okay. Well then maybe there's a reason for that, but like, I, I, I don't want a pedicure. Like, please, I, that's not a thing we're even going to discuss, but mm-hmm. I would not mind going to a place where somebody would cut my nails and show me how to cut my nails. I, I would yeah. like the equivalent of car talk for my fingernails. Yeah, no, it's that second part that you're not going to get. We, we think, is it a language problem? No, it's just oh. like, that's not what the, you just not what you're paying for. They don't have time to teach you to t- teach you the trade. So you don't need them anymore. But isn't, don't, doesn't that just mean it's right for disruption? No, that just means you just go watch a bunch of YouTube videos, to learn how to cut your nails. See, I, I think, I think you're living in the two years ago, two years past rather than two years future. I think a lot of people are going to be looking for revenue opportunities. They're going to be doing gig, gig driving. Maybe they could turn their salon into an Airbnb. Maybe Slip and Jimmy could get an office there. And I think the idea of having a podcaster come in, uh, probably for half a day, I'm guessing. And say, teach me how to cut my nails so well, I don't have to come I, back I, here I again. Got, well, here's the thing. I don't know what I don't know. I have mm-hmm. Dunning-Kruger nails. I, I, need, I need, like, what's the deal with soaking? Is that palm olive? How long do you do it? What's going to happen? What's the deal with those built-in dryers where people go and sit? Like I have a, I have a lot to learn and I want to treat it like, uh, an extension course with, with personal care. Hmm. When we put it that way. Yeah. I don't, I just, that doesn't seem. The ones I got are me. Japanese and but they're great. They might be too sharp I, for you. I've already taught you all you need to know. Uh, toenails go straight across, uh, fingers don't. Did you teach me that? Yeah, I thought you were just repeating something a doctor said. I tried to. Well, that's, uh, that's teaching is just passing on knowledge that you got from someone else. That's how it I don't works. think that's, I don't think that's accurate, but here's my thing. And I, I you still, you've been very breezy about me offering you a job i'm just saying you could be what in my organization we call you a floater don't make me take a picture of my toes and send it to you they're not looking good (laughs) this episode of reconcilable differences is brought to you in part by squarespace you can learn more about squarespace right now by visiting squarespace.com slash Diffs. Friends, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for building your brand and for growing your business online. You can stand out with a beautiful website, you can engage with your audience, and you can sell anything, products, services, even the content that you create. Whatever it is you want to do, hey, Squarespace has got you covered. It's really true. You're literally covered. With Squarespace, oh, you can do so much. You can use insights to grow your business transitively. If you've ever wondered where your site visits and sales are coming from and which channels are most effective, you can analyze all of that in Squarespace. Once you got that data, you can improve your website and build a marketing strategy based on your top keywords or most popular products and content. Check this out. You can sell products on your very own online store, whether that's physical or digital goods. Squarespace has the tools that you need to start selling online. And, you know, I think really it it never goes without saying uh, when you put this site together, you're going to get started with a best-in-class website template, so pretty, and then you just customize it to fit your needs. A few clicks, a few drags, and Bob's your uncle, as John Syracuse says. Easy as browsing the category of your business to find a perfect starting place. 
and you can customize that with just a few clicks. It really is the best. I've been with Squarespace a really long time, and I'm still there. I'm still there all the time. I love how easy it is to maintain a site. I love how fun it is to set up a site. And I got to tell you, this is real selfish. I love that I can make a suggestion to people. I can point them to Squarespace with total confidence that this will be something that they can grok, something that they can maintain and do on their own. It gets me out of the webmaster business, which is a business that, quite frankly, I'm very happy to be out of. So do me a favor right now. You go head over to squarespace.com slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. It's going to get you a free trial. New credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, use our extremely special offer code DIFFS. That's D-I-F-F-S. That's going to save you 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. Squarespace.com slash DIFFS. And use that code DIFFS. It's going to get you 10% off. And it shows your support of John Craig Syracuse. The poor little guy really needs it. I keep trying to offer him a job. And so far, I, you know what? I think he's proud. He's too proud. But if you go to Squarespace, get you a website, I don't know. I think we could really help the fella out. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Reconcilable Differences. I'll do whatever John says. All right. Um, uh, we're back. Got a lot of follow-up this week. We got to dive do. right in. Where do you get all this from? The internet? Yeah. I'm sorry. Listen, John, I, I don't like to talk about the show on the show. I'm sorry. The rumbling outside. It's it's 5.27 p.m. Pacific time, and they're still out there banging around. Now, in general, the, the, the thing that they did in front of my office is now happening on the other side of the street. They finished my side of the street. So all it's repeating like 15 feet further away. Um, but that, that's the, the, the that sound you hear. Yeah, it's construction. I'm I'm really sorry. It's about the beeping. That. The beeping is going to show up. So you hear Jim if you hear something that. sound like a truck backing up, because it's the truck backing up. Yeah, Jim will fix it. Well, I shouldn't say that, but but Jim Jim will take care of it. Uh, what uh, do a follow up? What, what what's going on this week, John? What do we got for follow up? For some reason, last week we were talking about uh, uh, whimsical names in CSS. Like I was silver. I was uh, to use the trade phrase. I was bitching about my feeling, personal feeling, that Apple does not produce enough user-facing documentation about mm. exactly all of the things ah, that can right. be used. Yes. And I was referring to, I, I think I put it in notes last week, uh, a thing I found on a home assistant site where this person had really like doggedly gone through and found the name colors. And then you were talking about, hey, did you know that's true with CSS too? You know? Yeah, they got, you know, they got colors like papaya whip. Uh, papaya whip. Yeah, goldenrod, cornflower blue, mm-hmm. silver, very whimsical names, right? My lights are topaz. And uh, someone named Potch sent us uh, some information about this and reminded me of something that I had known, but it had not occurred to me. Uh, The reason why those names stick in my head so much, those CSS, you know, color names that are predefined in the spec that you can just type out as words instead of putting like values for the RGB things or whatever. Yeah. uh, Is because I've seen a lot of those names before in the world of the X window system or X11. Uh, because I used oh, that when I was in college, okay. and I spent spent a lot of time configuring my uh, configuring my .x term or whatever the file was, like my my x terms, col- coloring the windows in the background and stuff like that. I see. So you get your you get your I forget what what the name of the color would be, but like if you want you want the matrix, your background is going to be what would that be? Zero 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 is black. Is that right? So you want black in the background and you want green, and so you got to go in enter in the exact color of green you want to look like Neo. 
But like I would use the names though, and, and actually, I get it. I was no, copying I off other people's dot files, uh, whatever it wasn't xorg.conf back then. I forget what the name of the dot file was, but anyway, you have configuration files for like when I bring up a terminal window, what color should the background be? What color should the text be? And those colors that you would pick, you'd pick the background, you'd pick wow. Wheat, how right? many, wheat how many, you, in, in that avail? I mean, this is a weird question, but in with so wait, is Xterm a Unix? Not not Mac, but it's mainly a Unixy thing. It's a Unixy. The X uh, the X Windows system is like a GUI system where you can draws Windows with scroll bars. It's and, equivalent and, to know, terminal though for us. title bars uh, around content, and it has this whole X server system oh. where you could be running a, an X program that is running on another c- computer, but you're seeing the result of the running of that as a GUI on your computer. I it's, see. It's cool, and I was super into it when is I was. Is that like school. running, running um, screen? No, it's like basically part of the origin is back when computers were super expensive. If you had a school mm-hmm. with 30,000 students, you couldn't afford to have 30,000 powerful GUI computers oh, for them to use. Oh, client, take a client host. Right. So you'd buy the big honking server. Got it, like got the, it, got it. And that would be in the back room. And then you'd use what they call X terms, which would be a computer that didn't really have any local storage. It had a little bit of memory. It had a big screen, but it, was, it wasn't a dumb terminal, but it wasn't like a full-fledged computer. Yeah. Um, and you could run GUI programs, which a lot of them, you know, they weren't particularly GUI, you know, but anyway, you could run GUI programs, but they were running on the big server, but they were displaying like the output of them running on your computer through yeah. the, the protocol, but it was like X client and X server. The same way as you could SSH into a server today. A little bit like that. But it, was, it was actually pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and you can see, anyway, I, I was super into it because that's what computing was like. You'd get on the color X terms. If you were real lucky, you could get one of the color. Were you doing it on your own computer or were you doing, doing it on like a school You computer? could do it on your own computer, but it was actually tough. It was mostly on like Tektronix uh, X terms. Uh, the, like mm. the whole computer lab was X terms. They were mostly grayscale, but there were a couple of color X terms. And you wanted okay. to get on those. And when you and when you log in, it's got your dot profile or similar. Yeah, and you had like a config file. I wish I could remember the name of the config file, but you had your main config file for your X, and it would tell, and you'd set up like, what terminals do I want? Windows do I want to appear? What color should the background be? What color should the text be? Do I want X eyes up in the corner? X eyes was were two eyeballs that would follow your cursor wherever it went on the Aww, screen. I love you'd that. Set, you'd set uh, some one of the things you could set. One of the things I was super into was called uh, sloppy focus and uh, <laughs> and uh, rays on focus. Is that like fuzzy logic. <laughs> Yeah, sloppy, so let, me, I, let, me describe, let me describe this to you, and you'll probably be terrified. I'm going to get the terms a little bit mixed up, but uh, okay. I'll just describe the behaviors. Um, the behavior that I liked in X11 eventually, I could never use in the Mac, but I did it in X. And this was the behavior, okay? Uh-huh. Whatever window you slide your cursor over gets the input focus and also comes to the front. Without clicking? Without clicking. Can you imagine that? Yeah, I mean, for me, that's... Like, I remember the first time, I feel like one of the first times I ever saw somebody using, like, I forget the terms, but touch rather than click on a, on a touchpad. And I, I tried it, and I was like, there's no way I could do this. You know what I mean? I, I need the decisiveness of, I just, in that case, I just clicked on that window. But if you got a ton of windows, that must let you move really fast. Yeah, so I was in the X term, and the screens were huge. They were 21 inches, which was just, you know, it was 21 yeah. CRT, so it was fantastically and, uh, large. For comparison, the Mac was nine. Yeah, and I would, and I'd have lots of terminal windows. Like you could save your sessions, so when you logged in, they would put the windows exactly where you wanted them. Like you'd put the coordinates oh, and the size. Uh-huh. Right, I see. And the then appeal. I'd go I between the, the windows. Uh, you know, this was before tabs too. There wasn't like tabbed windows or anything like that. So I'd go between the windows by just mo- bumping. The, the mice were so terrible, like optical mice. They were really bad. Uh, you'd bump the mouse up to the next window, and it would focus in on that window. You could also have it not raised. Those were two separate settings. One was like 
one was like focus follows mouse and one was like auto raise. I don't remember the names of these. I'm sorry, old school Unix people who know better than I, I can't remember. But anyway, I configured everything to say this terminal window is going to be papaya whip and the text is going to be, <laughs> you know, cornflower blue. And that's where I know those names from. Oh and my so gosh. Posh sent us a link to a very funny video that's kind of long and maybe only funny if you're a super old Unix nerd where someone gives a presentation describing where the heck those when those color names came from in x11 they came from a file called rgb.txt and it was basically just a, a file that had a list of red green and blue values and then a word and like how do you come up with that list of colors i mean after you if you do like red green blue all the if you do the primary and secondary colors how do you get the corn color blue how does that happen and the answer is as always with unix stuff there was a bunch of weird people who were writing unix and there weren't that many of them and someone took it upon themselves to write rgb.txt and make it part of x11 and a few people updated it. This file, I think they say in the one point in the presentation, this file has had 40 commits over its entire life since like 1990-something. 40 commits. I do that with punctuation fixes in an hour. Right. And wow. they said like full, fully like, it was like 20% of the commits were to were to fix someone's typo on the, the color Sandy Brown. Sandy, <laughs> Sandy Brown. Huh. Fire brick, goldenrod, medium goldenrod. You, if you watch this video, it's, it's such an example of like, well, like, you know, and then why why are they in CSS? Well, because they already had this list and browsers already implemented it from X11, which yeah, no one we're, never we're heard of. Yeah, we're back to the things like, well, the first one that comes to mind is um, error, what's, what's the, the, uh, the shoot, the, you know, the um, error traffic control system, mm-hmm. which is purportedly, you know, built like the city of Rome, like layers and layers and layers. There's no, there's no easy way to just suddenly click, click yeah. a button and modernize. And like you reuse, like why would you? That's the point of a lot of this. Well, the browser mindset. vendors implemented these colors because a lot of the original browsers, like NCSA well, somebody Mosaic, else did the work. Why wouldn't you repurpose it? Right, because you know NCSA Mosaic was one of the, the first browsers I used, and they had a version for for X Windows, right? Hmm. And those people you're writing were written by programmers who were X programmers, X11 programmers, and they know all about RGB text. And so, of course, they implemented all those colors. And once browsers had it implemented, CSS implemented it because they said, look, browser vendors have already implemented all these colors. They've already implemented cornflower, brew, goldenrod, whatever. Like, so we're just, you know, we're not we're not saying this is a good list of colors. Like, it's 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 arbitrary. It's made up by a very small number of very weird people. But it's already implemented. So we have to codify it so people know what words can I write right. in CSS besides the words right. black, right, red, blue, you know. Because, I mean, you didn't, I mean, like, just state, well, to verify that this is true, but... Uh, because you wouldn't have what we think of today as a color picker where you click the eyedropper or, or similar, or like for that matter, just even click on the big wheel. You, you could, you, you couldn't do that graphically. I'm guessing. So, I mean, eventually you could, and you could also put RGB values, but like, again, the people who made the system, somebody said, instead of making people put RGB values, why don't we have a bunch of named colors? So I'll just put them in a text file. And then the X, you know, the X server will just parse that text file. And then whenever you type pink, I'll know it's this R, this G and this B. Right. And, that you know it's just some something a person decided to do and the ripples of that thing that person decided to do it rippled from x11 which no one really cares about anymore except for linux users into css <laughs> and now it's you know going out into your nano leaf lights on your home thing and you can type you can say uh you know papaya whip and they change to a yellowish color and you're like where the hell did <laughs> that come whip. from yeah huh it's i'm gonna watch video. that video i i i love stuff like that like i i a lot of times the last thing that i watch i've told you this already but and I think I've sent you some of these. A lot of the times, the last thing I watch before bed is a video from, well, it's got an acronym, but that Computer Archives YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. I watched one, uh, a hilarious one last night on the PS2. And it's an IBM-created commercial from, like, what would it be, 87? 
It's like the PS2 is going to change the way. But like all of the F's and B's are just incredible. They sound, it sounds, that's like a Tim and Eric bit. It all sounds made up about, you know, increased throughput via tur- turbo, blah, blah, or whatever, like mm-hmm. all this stuff. And lots, lots of ladies, you know, in groups mm-hmm. working on computers. And as always, a guy with swoopy hair holding his glasses to his mouth and like staring at the screen and then a spreadsheet shows up. I love stuff like that. I, I super do. Microchannel architecture. That was another fun ad from IBM back in the day. Let me find what this is called. Um, I love stuff like that. You know, there's some bad documentary channels too, though. There's some shovelware documentary channels I'm discovering that you got to watch out for, where it sounds like they're basically made by an AI. They just take a bunch of footage and like, and drop in like talking head parts. And Mm -hmm. it's, have you seen any of these? It it feels like it's made by a, by a machine. Yeah. A lot of them are like, I I was just, I was discussing like the, you know, if you ever Google for how to pronounce and then you type a proper name, yeah. oh, absolutely. You, will get a, you will get a computer-generated video that phonetically pronounces that name. And a lot of them are wrong. Sorry to be all John Syracuse, but a lot of them are just wrong. <laughs> no, because it's just a computer doing phonetic pronunciation. But they basically, yeah. like, someone ran a program that went through, <laughs> like, every common name and the top 500 names in a bunch of countries and auto-generated a bunch of YouTube videos that is a computer voice saying, how to pronounce. And then it, you know, it's, it's terrible. So weird. I be uh, here we go. Um, so the name of this uh, account on YouTube uh, is Computer History Archives Project, or CHAP, I guess. And Seems this like is there's for maybe one or two extra words in that. Yeah, I know. I know. It's got that that kind of noun salad feeling. And this is the uh, 1987 IBM PS2 Computer Family Classic Intro. Um, there's a nurse here with a headset with one of those like Garth Brooks headsets. What a time. What a time. So that came out in 87. Because when I arrived at New College, they had a bunch of PCs in like a PC lab. And then a total of three Macs in the science building. One of which was a, I want to say maybe a Mac Plus. It was like a, or might have, I don't think it was an SE30. That was, was that out yet? But it was pretty robust. And then there were two like original or maybe like Fat Macs. I don't even remember. But yeah, yeah. The, the the it was always easier to get time on a uh, on a PC for sure. The new PS two family. It's going to change everything. Uh, you know, they have there's colors in the spreadsheets and the, they, it makes charts and they're at angles. It's a it's a hell of a thing. I'll put this. I in had notes. a friend when I was in, uh, I guess uh, maybe middle school or whenever this came out, uh, and his parents got him a PC Junior, and I felt so bad for him. What, um, I, okay. So like, this is really embarrassing, but like, I was not a computer guy. And so I had seen the Bloom County jokes about the banana junior. And so is banana junior, a joke about PC. Wasn't that what it was called? It was a joke about Apple and about. It was mostly PCs. just a joke about the Mac. I'm not, the junior might've come from PC. Junior. I, think, I, I might be remembering timeline. it wrong. It's been a long time. It, I mean, it was just a Mac with feet. It was a classic Mac with feet and it was, you know, I don't think it had anything to do with the PC Junior, but the PC Junior was a flop. It was an attempt well, to make. What was it? What was it? What was it on? So what is it? What was it following? And what was its pitch? It was following the IBM PC, which was like the the you know IBM finally entering the like the, the that's the three eighty six PC that everybody. No, the PC AT and PC XT were the original. Oh, okay. or PC AT was it was like it was like an eighty eighty eight or whatever. Anyway, I don't remember the details. I'm not a PC guy. But the, the IBM PC was the thing. It was like, oh, no, here comes IBM, the, this market that, you know, Tandy and Radio Shack and Commodore and Apple are in. But now IBM's here and now it's serious. And they have Charlie Chaplin commercials. Remember those? The IBM PC things? Oh, I, abso- anyway. oh, I absolutely do. Oh, yeah, yeah, those are charming. 
And so the, the, the PC Junior was like, okay, well, the IBM PC is an important machine for business people doing important business, but what if we want to sell to home users? Well, I know, we'll make a cheaper version called the IBM PC Junior. And it's like the PC, but it's Junior, and it's for your home, so and nobody it, wanted it. So it might be partly like you've just always wanted a computer, but they were costly. It could be like, well, you've seen a computer at work, and you'd like to have one, but it's it becomes like an entry level. It, the, the pitch was that this is a, uh, uh, you could have a PC at home, and it's affordable enough that you wouldn't balk at it. Yeah, and it was just a, it was just a really bad PC for not that much less money, and it did not catch on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, yeah, he got he got a PC Junior instead of getting an actual PC, and the world left him behind, and it was sad. I was worried. I, I worry about being that guy. I, I want. The, I usually want the good one. You know. Yeah, the PC Junior was not the good one. Not the good one. Um, thank you to um, was it Potch? P-O-T-C-H. Thank you, P-O-T-C-H. Bok, bok. Um, oh, 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 looks like you have some follow-up on, uh, on on young people on TikTok. TikTok. Can't stop the signal. I was annoyed that I could not queue up a TikTok to show somebody. Uh, a bunch of people had some suggestions uh, on how to do that besides sending the link. One suggestion was if you go to the next uh, TikTok, then when you're ready to show the person, swipe backwards to get to the previous one. It'll start yeah, that's what my kid again. does. Yeah, that's what yeah. my kid does. Yeah. But the main suggestion was you can stop TikTok video. Huh. You just have to tap on the screen. And of course, I'm like, I'm tapping on the screen and it keeps doing a bunch <laughs> of stuff. Well, you have to tap not on the bottom and not on the right. You have to tap in, you know. Oh, it kind of kind of like with a Kindle, like you, with a Kindle, it drives me crazy sometimes. But you've got to know if you want to go back or up a level, mm-hmm. like so you're not turning a page or doing something else. You were hitting mm-hmm. the wrong region and didn't know it. I mean, to be fair, it is the largest region on the screen, but I was apparently tapping on on the phone, tapping on a region that because there's like invisible regions. There's text on the bottom and there's icons on the right. And if you, I must I must have been tapping. I thought I was tapping on the video. Tap on the video. The whole screen is the video, right? They, exactly. They overlay, they overlay the bottom text and the controls onto the video. But I guess I was accidentally tapping on the bottom and it would bring up like that info pane or whatever. But just tap anywhere on the video mm. where you don't see a control and it will pause it. I mean, I get it it's for young people. But like t- the whole like tapping on a video, like for years you've been able, when you're watching a YouTube video, you can tap on the video. Well, I guess they've changed stuff since then. You might go forward depending on how you have it set up. But but like I've always thought of that as a secondary or tertiary way to do it because I'm a button man. But um, that, uh, I, I mean, I, I guess it must work for people. But, but you know, I mean, like, so like you get that really, that gets in your bones. You know what I mean? Those those kinds of swipes and patterns. So like Twitter recently changed. I think it was Twitter. Yeah, must be Twitter. Twitter recently changed something where they're like trying to push these short videos like everybody's trying to push. And I'll click on somebody's video to go watch a video. And time was you just swipe from the bottom up to go back to like dismiss the video and go back to the tweet. And they changed that to now when you swipe from the bottom up, it takes you to the next short video. Yeah, because that's that's more like what TikTok does. I don't prefer that at all. Okay, well, that's why they did it. Has anybody ever been successful in the long run copying a feature like that and running with it? I mean, oh sure, yeah, Instagram. Well, I know, I know, Instagram, TikTok, copy Vine, you know. But yeah, okay, TikTok, copy Vine, Snapchat, like yeah, no, it's all everything's a remix. That's true. What's that guy's name? Kirby Puckett. What's his name? Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Um, Uh, thank you to uh, whomever sent that. Yeah, tons of people said that. So many people, it is uh, multiply attributed. Um, it's it, John. It's super loud outside, so I'm going to mute for a second. Keep that's going. Fine. All I right, can just sorry. Plow bravely through this. Yeah, fall. keep going. Next one is from from Rob Lawrence, uh, who said, "FYI, most states have a way to find uh, unclaimed money, 
And apparently the site missingmoney.com searches many of them. So if you don't want to go from website to website and finding out what it is in each one of your states, if you go to missingmoney.com, apparently that will sort of like a meta search engine for unclaimed property. I've never used this site. Can't vouch for it. Blame Rob if it takes all your money. I, I have to once again refer to the guy who dressed like the Riddler. This this feels very much like, like a that guy kind of thing where you take public information and then you, and then you remix it. But um, I saw something in the Slack and one of the Slacks where Marco... One of our, somebody, somebody had seen unclaimed money, and Marco was saying it might be unclaimed, like Google AdSense money or something. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it could I mean, just be stuff like that. Yeah, like some money that a corporation why tried you to get give that, you. Why wouldn't you to, get that money though? I mean, maybe you just never entered your account information or something. Maybe they sort of the mail, and you thought it was junk mail. It might have, back in the day, it might have actually been paper mail, or you know, maybe they emailed it to you, or you didn't have your payment information set up, and you got put it in the spam. But like, who knows? You know, yeah. there's so many reasons. That, I wonder if there's an eighty twenty rule um, in there anywhere. I mean, I wonder if eighty percent of the stuff. In, for example, getyourmassachusettsmoney.io or whatever it's called. I wonder if 80% of that is a certain kind of thing. Or do you think it's just a just a crazy, like, junk store style mix of different kinds of unclaimed money? I bet there's there's something that's probably more than half of it. I just don't know what that might be. Well, I'm not going to look it up, but I am curious. Thank you to uh, Rob Lawrence uh, for telling us about that. Now, now, this one, I don't know what we're going to do with this because, you know, I know this is your show about feelings. But I, I, I had I had a couple of the tech things I want to talk about, and you yoinked them already with your popular program. But can you have anything to share with us about uh, Rewind.ai and, and its relationship with live streams? Well, not everybody listens to ATP, so we can, you know. Well, Every day I'll, somebody's I'll, born who's, who's never heard Casey. That's right. I will point okay. people. What episode is that? Let me look it up. Hang on. The ATP? It, it says 66. Yeah. 507. Oh, okay. Uh, ATP episode 507 link will be in the show notes. We talked about this topic at length there. Uh, but really, well, so here's here's the history of this topic. Uh, most recently, if you listen to this program, you may have heard in November of 2021 on episode 169 of the Reconcilable Differences program, which we will put a link to in the show notes, at 53 minutes and 22 seconds precisely, we begin a discussion of a thing that I referred to as live streams. And then I explained what they are, where I heard of them to the best of my recollection. And we talked about it a bit. Yeah. And, and the way you will kind of was a two part thing because we we were, we were talking about your frustration, which I, um, which I share about not being able to remember like where you found something. And I mean, there, there are sort of hacks for that. Um, there's a, for example, something I've been wanting forever is there's a Twitter app. I forget if it's a new one I've been playing with. It might be Spring. It might be the one with the bird on it. <laughs> I guess that's all of them. But you can, for example, put a note on a user that's private. Like, like I, sometimes I'll be like, who is this person? How did I know them? I'll be following somebody and like they'll, they'll, they'll tweet like, you know, 12 times a year or whatever. And I don't know who it is. But, but that's a common thing. Like you said, like, did, did I learn about this from somebody in Slack? Did I learn about this? And you were saying, like B, uh, I uh, something like that would be really neat if you could do it well and privately. But A, this is something they've been talking about forever. And in fact, we went to a very old website that talked about something called live streams. And and how was live streams? De- de- remind our listeners how was uh, a live stream defined at the time? Slight sidetrack based on our previous conversation. You mentioned uh, put, putting a note next to like someone you saw on Twitter to remind yourself stuff about them. Yeah. Speaking of NCSA Mosaic on X11. Uh, the, the very first, the very first web Best browser dependent clause of the month. Yeah, 
the, the very first web browser I used was that. Uh, and it had at the top an address bar. So you might recognize it as a web browser, right? Um, but underneath the address bar, I'm going to find that screenshot. It's underneath the address bar, in my recollection, it had a second text field. Let me see if I can find a picture of it so I can be more accurate. Oh, that's the Windows version. Come on. Is it something like the equivalent of a note? It had. You could add annotations. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to the Mosaic User's Guide annotations. It says NCSA Mosaic's annotate window lets you add personal annotations to any document you happen to be viewing on the web. The idea that they were documents and not pages or sites. Right? That's how old this is. Right. You could just write your own annotations, right? Annotations will be subsequently inlined as hypertext links at the end of the document. Can you that imagine? Would be, that would be held privately, probably in a .html file with your bookmarks or whatever. Yeah, or something like that. But like but, it would but show, it, be, it would append yeah, them yeah. to the markup of the page and you can edit or delete wow. the annotation at any time. The annotate window can be popped up by selecting annotate from the annotate menu or use the A hotkey, right? My recollection is there was actually a second text field underneath the address bar, which is where you could enter the annotations. Maybe it was a pop-up window. This was a long time ago. Um, but yeah, the idea that like, you'd go through the web, kind of like you're going through Twitter and like, all right, let me make a note to remember what it is about this person. So you'd go to a website and you'd be like, let me make a note about what was on this website. So when I come to it again, that text will appear at the bottom of the page. Like they would insert it, I guess, before the closing body tag or <laughs> just. So, so you could enter something like Bob from accounting's polka band or something mm-hmm. to remember like context for. But you would only see it when you went back to the page. So you'd have to have it like bookmarked or something, right? See, it's just. Such an odd idea, but it, it was yeah, almost but like... That, but that's, you know, well, well, sorry to say something very obvious. They're still figuring stuff out. They're still, still you know, trying things out. But it, it, was, it was Mosaic for the graphical web, or was it just... No, no, it was graphical web. Reg- I'm, I'm looking at Mosaic here. that preceded Mozilla, or preceded, yeah, I think, um, yeah, Netscape. I think I'm confused by the, uh, by the double text field, so here, I'll... I'll... I'll send you this thing. This is- I, I have to say, like, this this actually uh, unintentionally ties together uh, uh, several previous topics. I'll be quick about this, but I'm so sorry they're still banging outside. But, like, we, we talked about how we both really enjoyed Entourage um, mm-hmm. as an email app, but, you know, it was it was not Outlook, but it did some Outlook-y things. It did some agenda-ish things, but the thing I loved about Entourage, as I said previously, I've said many times, is you can, like, essentially associate almost anything with almost anything. A really straightforward example being over here, you've got your calendar events. Over here, you've got your contacts. Over here, you've got your emails. Over here, you've got, I think they were just called notes. And you could drag any of those things into those other things and associate, for example, a real obvious one, associate these contacts with this meeting. And I I know that that seems like table stakes now, but mainly we use that, I think, to send invitations. But but back then, I don't think it was even to send invitations. It was like just like show who was at the meeting or attach this note or attach these emails. Or the, uh, the thing that Gmail and the Google Calendar still don't do in a reasonable way. This uh, calendar event, what email spawned it? What email? Is it? Link an email to a calendar event. What's the, uh, it's like Aristotle says, you want to know what the prime mover is. Yeah. I, I, but, but like I have to say, like there's, there's in, in any variety of ways, I still think so much of that is an unsolved problem. And I, uh, on another podcast on, on Do By Friday, I was bitching about, again, that same frustration with stuff being undocumented, but also like the way that Ventura has redone the share menu, that the share menu has become like the, the world's greatest storage closet. Like there's so much stuff in share that is about more than strictly speaking sharing, but um, that's not the point. The point is not the share. The problem is that now, as far as I can tell so far, I've lost the ability to get to stuff under share 
since it lives in a mystery meat graphical menu. Whereas, mm. uh, to be honest, like I said, based on your assistance and suggestion, I was able to do that with Keyboard Maestro. So like, or yeah, Keyboard keyboard Maestro, you can say, you know, go to this menu, then go to this sub menu and so on. I have not yet figured out a way to do that. Why am I bitching? Because, I mean, Entourage could do stuff like this. Think about, John, and think about how non, now I, it still drives me nuts that in the mid-90s, now contacts had meaningful names, semantic names of companies where you could say, show me everybody who works at the ABC organization, right? And that's still not semantic in context, and that drives me crazy. But back, back, back to this point, though, I'm frustrated that uh, the way I phrased it on on the internet and on Dubai Friday was, I think it should not be this difficult to pass information from Apple's best app to their most promising app. By which I mean, I know I can graphically with my meat fingers click on the Shero and say, send this to reminders or send this to notes. But I made key commands for that because I use it so much. I made key commands. So now I, I don't know if I'm using this word correctly. This feels like a regression. Like the mystery meat menu that floats, that just shows you all your your share things, I don't have a way to get to that. And I want this for everything. I do want to be able to put a note on like why I followed somebody. I do want to be able to pass something from Safari into notes with a key command. And I, I do want to be able to do stuff like, for example, if something changed in my environment or life, I want to be able to drop a marker onto a HomeKit for example, in HomeKit, it would be neat to be able to say, or really anywhere, Apple Watch, Apple Health, say that there was this change in my life or something happened and I want a marker here that I can refer to later. But that's virtually unheard of. There's an app called Bearable that I played with that does this, but I don't think you should need a third-party app to say like, oh, this is when I changed my medication or this is when I got my new job or this is when I my divorce was finalized. Because being able to... Make a mark on the data that's collected about you is so such a huge idea to me. And maybe this is kind of where the whole idea of live streams comes in in some ways. It's kind of a blunt instrument for solving what I'm trying to solve. But I, on the other hand, I, I really do like stuff like that little ribbon you get that says, okay, you're looking at a web page that was sent to you by John. I think that's, I think that's cool. I like that I can click on the, the I button in messages you know, to find videos and stuff like that. But I don't know. It's a, there's, a, there's such a time with, with so much powerful stuff, and yet there's still so much manual association that has to be made to turn data into actionable information. Yeah, you just want Lotus Notes back, don't you? I, you know, I've never used... Lotus Notes or, or Agenda are two apps that I only know about from hearing people say this app you know, this app that's out there, this new app is like not as good as Lotus Notes or not as good as Agenda, but it does the stuff that people relied on. Did you ever use Lotus Notes or Agenda? No, but I know a lot about Lotus Notes and it and like it, it was it was that type of sort of single system interlink thing that you would like, but imagine Yeah, and it was very I mean, I think it was very inspirational to gosh, what was that project? I went to a few of their meetings. Mitch Kapor had that project where they were trying to make um they brought me in as the email guy to talk, look at like how their approach to email was, but they were make, trying to make like an everything app, a, a, you know, a yeah. graphical everything app that did all of this stuff. And because it's bitch, of course, like what did he done? He did the spreadsheet program. And uh, Lotus did, one, two, three. Yeah, I think he did Lotus one. And he did 
Yeah, and he did, I guess, Lotus Notes. And is Lotus Notes kind of a PKM? It's kind of an everything app? Yeah, it was definitely an everything thing. Like, it's going to do all your, your email and your documents and your sharing your and networking. And everything built from the idea that everything is, can be associated, right? Right. But, but the thing is, every individual part of that was a, a bad example of what it was. So people hated it. Yeah. So a couple of things I want you to say that first. I'm going to come out against Sharrow. Uh, I'm going to say no to that. Uh, oh, you're stopping it right here. Yeah. I have think you changed your mind about me calling myself a gentleman podcaster? Is that something no, you're still saying? And I'm anti what about accepting What about accepting a position with is, me? Is Cheryl, did you come up with that on your own? Do you want to take credit for that? Or is that something you heard? I somewhere? do not want to take credit for that. I, I misspoke, slurred my words like I do. Uh, do I Friday? Yeah. yeah, I did. I did. Okay. All right. I'll stop. Thank you. Okay. Anyway, he's trying to say share arrow. It's the icon of the box with the no, arrow coming up. I'm trying to say share arrow icon for share but he goes share on i'm gonna you say know, no, i was raised in ohio and i have a tongue and i think you're being very ableist <laughs> right now mm-hmm. dawn second thing is uh my misremembering that the annotate thing was a second text field what i was misremembering was if you look at the image in your messages now and hmm. csa mosaic had document url like the address bar we know and love but also had the document title in a text field above the url like as in the contents of the title tag so it did. It did have two text fields in the top of the browser. Oh wow! Okay, that's a, that takes up on a screen that size, which John sent me is yes. And I, oh god, I remember the mosaic logo. Mm-hmm. <gasps> oh my goodness! And, and, sorry, what platform is this? This is this is on X, X Windows. That's a motif. Okay. The motif window manager is another thing. I, again, X Windows I only know because it would be a radio button for something on the Mac. Like I never knew, I never actually used it, but yeah, you could run, you could run X, uh, X 11 on Mac. It used to sh- ship with the Mac. You could run X applications, but this, that was, that's a lot of horizontal space. Uh, boy, look at those bevels, those bevels. You could cut yourself on those bevels. Look at the bottom. That's where back forward home reload are alongside open save as new window clone <laughs> for, for the next window. year. You can change it, but then it's going to be permanent. Yeah. And the, the blank space above there, I think was when you moused over a link with each other. Stuff. Look at the, ah, this is where, this is part of, by this point, like the blue for links and purple for visited to come along, but notice visited is a dotted line. Yeah. That didn't really catch on. But anyway, uh, yeah, uh. that's that's uh, that's excellent. So uh, popping the staff uh, back a bit. Life streams. Life streams. D- yes. John, what are we going to do? How am I going to how I'm, how I'm remember what happened? How I'm going to remember who sent me a, a thing about, uh, you know, making AI versions of my face? Um you know, all the way back to you can't remember somebody's name, but you remember when they met them. Is this life streams? Is it going to solve that problem for me, John? Yeah. So this was a concept, I think, from the late 80s, early 90s. We'll put a link to the Wikipedia page and some other pages about it from Yale or cs.yale.edu. It was like an academic thing of like, what if we organized information not by have which files in which folder and not by search criteria based on attributes, but instead purely based on time? It's another way to slice the data of your of your life. And it will be purely a sequence of time. You can visualize it as just a stack of everything that you've seen on your computer going backwards in time and forward in time. And so if you can't remember where the heck you saw something, but you know you saw it yesterday, you just rewind to yesterday and sort of page through what you saw yesterday. And that was the concept behind live streams. There was another concept too of like where you record, you literally record your entire life with like a camera on your forehead and you'd have a stream of your entire life. And as we talked about in ATP, there's a Black Mirror episode about the dystopian version of that. What was it I love, called? I love the line. Who's what? Was that your line? Somebody's line on uh, ATP about yeah, it. Was in the chat, someone in the chat room. Oh, yeah. yeah tell people what he said. <laughs> or she, I, I think he said uh, every Black Mirror episode ends up on some tech company's roadmap. Yeah, but like the idea that like somebody, somebody like the owner of Tesla might come in and go like, oh, this is this is my new whiteboard as I'm going to take stuff. Oh, what if, what if you could like uh, talk to Bill Weasley after he's dead or, you know, ugh. 
God. Yeah. So that was the, the entire history of you was the uh, Black Mirror episode. But instead, everyone should watch Sandra Napero, which is the only good uh, Black Mirror episode. Wait, entire history of you. Wait, is that the Bill Weasley episode? That is who was in with, this uh, one? with uh, Jody, Jody Whittaker's in it, the uh, Doctor Who. Um, Jody. Yeah, I know I've seen it, but any, okay. Anyway, so but now, uh, yes, yes, we will help you. Uh, uh, live streams will help you to uh, rewind. Yeah, we bring it up because like it's a thing that we both experienced. Like, where oh, did sorry, I, I see I that? I was doing a really good segue. Oh. Yeah, where 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 did I see that? And we can't remember. And so, well, if we had live streams, like if if we had something on a computer that organized things by time, we would just rewind to go look at that, right? And then we talked about that again in, in November of 2021. I also talked about it on ATP in May of 2014. Obviously, this had a big impact on me. I think I might have talked about it in Hypercritical in 2011. Uh, just I had seen it on television and I thought live streams, that's a cool thing. I wonder if that will become and it just never became a thing. Right. For a variety of reasons that I but think this we was a hot thing in the 90s. And even it wasn't in the 80s, hot, but it was just no, no, no. But I, I mean, like that whole TV. idea of like AT&T's <laughs> you will or like showing all these kinds of things that are like mm-hmm. based on the trajectory of what we know right now and our misunderstanding of Moore's law, you're going to be seeing all of these things, the equivalent for nerds, the equivalent of a jetpack. Well, but the AT&T you will things mostly came true in, 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 uh, you know, slightly different ways, but this was, it's like academic research. <laughs> you'll, be able able to, just, you'll be able to receive your newspaper via fax. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, again, predicting the future is difficult. You, you end up sure you're is, tra- yeah. trapped in the frame of the present, but the academic things is just like, what about this? What if we try this? And it's just tons of academic things that they try and just they end up being terrible, right? But that's the whole point of, you know, like we have to try the, these ideas purely for the, you know, because who knows? Maybe this will be the next breakthrough. Maybe we will have well, discovered. Look, look a- at AR. Look at how many, you know, attempts at AR there's been. It's like, like to quote Casey Liss, you know, year of Linux on the desktop. Like we're, always seems like it's always been implied that Jared Lanier is going to be there to like with his helmet any day now. And we've gone through that. Like from the beginning with Wired, it was always like like such a big thing and yeah i mean we're getting there but i guess as with driving cars we're or sorry self-driving cars we're not really totally there yet but uh, you know so much has to do with well setting aside all the other things about futurism the devil's always in the details about like how this gets done and i should have re-listened to when we talked about it on uh, rectifs 169 but i'm pretty sure we covered some of that it's like all right, so there's there's multiple things that are tricky about this. Well, actually, to be to be useful, what am I giving away? Yeah, like so. First of all, how do you implement that? How how would that get implemented on a modern computer? Do can we implement that? Is it too onerous? Do we have the the horsepower, the battery life, the whatever to do it? And the second thing is, if that was implemented, knowing what we know now about the privacy nightmare that is, you know, the the modern internet, like. Is this is that idea just too dangerous to implement? Because it's basically like you'd be surveilling yourself. Oh, geez. Just in, in the time since you first mentioned it, my view has changed. I mean, like it's it's becoming more and more and like listening to you guys talk about an ATP and I, you know, whatever I signed up for, got myself in line to look at it once it's available. But, you know, to, to think about it, like I'll, to repeat myself, to be useful, this thing would have to be a privacy and as Marco pointed out, like legal nightmare, it feels like. Yeah. And so what we're talking about is uh, there's a company called Rewind.ai that has implemented live streams essentially on the Mac and a Mac OS application that basically records. You guys, talk, you guys talked about it and it was super interesting. But just so people know, we won't repeat that, but you should definitely go listen to that. It's a, it's a good ATP. Yeah. And you guys did talk about that. It's a third party application and it records your screen. And it uses modern technology to compress things down so it doesn't take up too much room and it does OCR. And it like basically technology is at the point now where a company can sort of kind of do this. Um, and as I said in ATP, it's not like this company invented screen recording. Like 
you know, and, and my worky work, jobby job things, every meeting we were in was always recorded, right? And it was recorded server side. I, I, I used, oh, absolutely. And I mean, like, for example, I, something I posted making fun of Apple music yesterday, totally done with screen recording. It's been around forever. And I think the only thing that I can think of that governs what wouldn't be on screen right now is really DRM, right? The same way that you can't do a screen grab mm -hmm. of most video streaming services, like on, on an iPad. And it's like, I'm sitting around at night having a drink and I want to take a picture of a Stanley Kubrick movie. And sometimes, you know, it really is actually easier to just go steal the movie. Because if you could do that, then there would be pirated versions of Kubrick movies and we can't People have that. Would, oh, absolutely not. But I'll just open it in like, I, I, God, I'm confusing the name of this app with what was written on the cross. Is it I-I-N-A? I-I-N-A. I used to be a VLC man and now I'm not. That's how I call it. Oh, a hi, nah. I, that's what I use. But a lot of times when I do my beloved screenshots in the evening, um, that's what I'll do. I'll just go grab an episode of a TV show because I want a clean screen grab. I'll even do my own San Francisco subtitles on it. So like, but what's not going to, well, what is going to appear is everything. And uh, anyway, sorry, go ahead. It's but hearing you guys talk about it really <laughs> soured me on the whole idea because I, I had not really thought through the implications of literally everything. I mean, it's one thing to run, like, did you ever run Rescue Time back in the day? It's, no, I think it's probably still around. Rescue Time, yeah, Rescue Time's really clever, especially if you're, well, again, this is useful for people like me, so forgive me. But if there are times where you think, oh, geez, I have garden variety, ADHD, and it's not that I have no attention, it's that when I look back at what I've done in the last week, I can see a pattern of my attention not going where it was, where it should have been. So you run rescue time and rescue time will like, without, it's not taking pictures, but it's running in the background and it will know like what web pages you visited and for how long, what files you had open and for how long, et cetera. All the way down to like, I was able to say like, you could assign like tasks and quality of use. Like, oh, if I'm, if I have text mates open, I'm probably doing something that's writing, et cetera. Like if I'm on, I don't know, some gambling site, obviously. And it'll give you a report or you could set limits and stuff like that. But this is much deeper than that. Yeah, like it's running OCR on every text that it can find. And it's also taking all the audio that's played through your speaker, sending it to a server to be translated into text. So so like I haven't had dinner yet. I'm, I'm at DoorDash right now looking at some food I'm thinking of getting after we're done here. So like as I scroll down the page, it's going to recognize the word onion rings and put that Mm -hmm. into the word soup. And so and so later, if you wanted to search your live stream with Rewind, uh, they don't call it live stream, by the way. That is, that is totally a term from academia. They just call it, I don't know what they call it. But anyway, what we prefer to is that. Um, you would just type onion rings and it would pull back basically a image of that window when you had it scrolled to onion rings with a date on it. Well, same way it would like theoretically pull in verified hot milfs in your area, mm -hmm. which is concerning. Yeah, so it's... <laughs> you know, and you can exclude applications and it's all local. It says the same mm -hmm. file locally, except again, except for the audio, which they send to a server to be converted to text. And that's not great because that for them to convert it to text, they have to be able, be able to decrypt it. So you're basically sending, you know, all the audio of that was ever played over your speaker 24 hours a day to a server to be translated and they can press it down so it doesn't take up too much room in your disk. And they, they claim they use the whole M1 system on a chip to process this in an efficient way, which is probably not going to help your battery life. Um, and they're VC, finally, they're VC funded by Andreessen Horowitz. This was the most concerning part of the discussion was, I mean, <laughs> brought up, of course, I think by Marco, which is like whenever you, well, sorry, I'm jumping ahead, but like there's a, there's a free tier and a possible premium tier. We haven't decided what it'll cost. And you're like, wait a minute, 
I read that bit. Don't attribute that to Marco. My oh, heart. sorry about that. So you just want to be remembered for one thing, but mm-hmm. it's it's so concerning. And like the thing is, okay, how can I put this? I think sometimes people there's a logical fallacy. I think in people going, I under, I mean, I've had this same feeling of like, hey, look, I'm happy to pay for Descript. I I would pay twice what I pay for Descript if I knew if if that was keeping them from ever selling themselves to Spotify, which is what I imagine will eventually happen, or similar. Like, I, I really don't want Descript to go away, and I don't want it to get weird, right? Like, I'm so happy to pay money for that service, like so many of the things that I pay money for. I'm super happy to pay money for that because I know that any money I spend subscribing to drafts is going to Agile Tortoise to make drafts. It's not, there's no Peter and Paul situation that I'm worrying about. But I do think there's a, a slight logical fallacy when people say, well, if I do pay for this, then I'm more confident about what they're doing because you can spend money on dumb stuff in lots and lots of ways. But what you're describing or what you read aloud on that show suggests a a lot of tech moving quickly in the absence of a model for ensuring what happens with my data. Yeah, I'll just read I still have it from the ATP. No, let's read it again. It's, It's this is from their website. We'll put a link to it. Rewind is completely free for now, exclamation point. We plan to offer a free product indefinitely, and for users who get a ton of value, we'll charge them a monthly subscription, a.k.a. freemium. We aren't yet sure what the price will be or what the features will be in the product versus the paid, free product versus the paid product. We'll make that decision based on feedback we get from users. One thing is for sure, <laughs> we will never sell your data or do advertising. It's like, you can't make that promise. You're a VC-funded company. With, well, and, like, and what's, the con- what's the consequence? I mean, I, I hate to be this particular guy, but first of all... <laughs> I would give that another pass from a writing standpoint. That's fine. That's mm-hmm. my that's my opinion. But like your assurance in 2022, well, let's put it this way. Your assurance in year maybe two of your beginning this project, are, you have absolutely no legal obligation to stick with that. Like we're, it's a very much a pig and a chicken situation. And you haven't, you, you've admitted that you have no idea what your, what your business model is going to be. Right, it's going to be like, something. Based on your assurance, I give you this ridiculously sensitive stuff based on an assurance. That you, that you promise is not leaving my computer except for the audio which you're sending. That's to right. They're, they're the chicken and I'm the pig. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's scary, but it's also a technical curiosity, which is why I think all of us well, signed I'm de- up. I'm re- definitely, as soon as they, they pass it to me, I'm definitely going to try just to see what it's like mm-hmm. and to get that feeling of, you know, because I, I, I think a lesson I've had to learn slowly over time, I'm being dead honest with you. I can't tell you how many times I've watched, you know, WWDC, iPhone, all the way back, Macworld, watching these things, hearing about a new Apple product and going, you know, huh, cool. But then I see it or I learn more about it or, God forbid, I actually use it. And once I use it, a good Apple product, let's put it this way, there's a big there was a big difference between my 64, I had a card, but I think it was a 64 megabyte Diamond Rio player. I had like the nicest Diamond Rio that was kind of smaller than what would be an iPod. But an iPod, it was really expensive. It didn't have as much much space, but boy, it was so nice to use. That that quality, that um, je ne sais quoi of like, what is it that makes this thing feel so good to use versus what is it that makes this thing thing feel so to use? It's hard to know until it's in in your hand, but I'm very interested in the technology. I'm very interested in like just seeing how it would work. And so that's why I leaven this by saying off the dome, 
I don't know, man. That doesn't sound like a thing I want running everywhere all the time for half a dozen reasons. Yeah, and the problem with this is to get the val the promised value of it, you kind of have you to have to it, right. Like that's the whole point. Yeah. Because like, what if it was like I only run it for one hour a day? Well, if you didn't do that thing, you forgot about one hour a day. You know, so it's it's tricky. Like I, I said, an ATP in the long view, I feel like. Once this becomes cheap enough to do that, it's essentially free. It's unavoidable because despite the fact that we freak out about the privacy things, uh, other people have different value systems and we are in the vast minority as evidenced by the popularity of Facebook, you know, oh, and, other, and many other things that we turn our nose up at. Right. Uh, so well, or I it think, could be, I mean, in the same way that you guys talked about the fact that like you're like, what are you obligated to do in terms of both the law and an NDA and, you know, whatever you want to call personal ethics, like what, what, like, what changes if you use that? That becomes, uh, that sounds scarier than it is, though, because that applies to everything we already have on our computers. You can already record everything on your computer. You can already, right. like, share, break NDAs and share things. And it's just like, this kind of automates it. And like, like oh, well, this will be, I won't be aware that I'm doing it. You know, there's that kind of scary thing. But like, there's so much of what we do. So much technology is available to break every kind of legal agreement. You know, even if it's just simply like, oh, I live in a two-party consent state, but I have the ability to record my screen. Well, what's going to prevent me from from breaking? Well, you probably just do it and no one notices or you forget about it. Like, anyway, it's, Same it's way like, that, like I think the classic example, my friend Pete, um, who was a great mentor of mine back in Tallahassee when he would do talks about technology, the example he always used was ATMs. And he would say, talk about how like, let's say 1976, 77, you get this machine and uh, and you get a card and you can go there and take out $10. Isn't that cool? And everybody's like, well, how, what keeps people from using my card to go steal all all the money mm -hmm. I've ever earned? Well, you got a, so, you got a pin code. It's really you've got a number. You have a number. That's the it's N. four-digit number that's totally not one, two, three, four. The N in pin is a four-digit number. And But here's the thing. It, it wasn't that technology that made that viable. I mean, certainly, in some sense it was. It was the policy behind that that made it powerful. Because even when Pete was doing those talks in the 90s, he could say to people, hey, look, you know, people use ATMs now because there is a code and that's good enough given the policy of the bank to say, oh, it's only going to cost you 50 bucks if somebody steals your information, right? On its own, that's completely insane. And you can't take out more than $200 or whatever the limit is, you know? Yeah, there's, there's, there's basically, you know, sort of, sort of bumps that are built into this. But yeah, so my my view of this, the, the like, we're I don't think we're at the point now because this is not going to be free. Like that's why I want to try it. Like it's it's going to load down your system. It's going to fill your disk. It's going to eat your CPU. It's going to hurt your battery life. And a VC funded startup is not the way to do this. I think when we talk about Erectives, I was suggesting that it has to be implemented by the OS vendor because they could do it more efficiently and with more of a privacy focus. Because <laughs> Apple already has a way to make money that that wouldn't be their new way to make whatever. But eventually, like so many things, when it's time comes and it basically you get it for free because of Moore's law, we'll probably be dead by then. So don't worry about it. But yeah. Um, it'll be implemented because I think the utility is tremendous. But like, yeah, well, what would you, how would you make money from that? Like, it's sort of like with, I don't know if we'll end up talking about Twitter tonight. I sort of hope we don't, but like the, like a lot of people are saying right now with Twitter, it's like, well, if you decide you're going to just take ad money off the table because you want this place where people can do whatever, or however you look at it, I, I think Elon Musk is not quite as dumb as people think, but he's also not nearly as smart as people think. But having said that, like if you are giving away the vast amount of like, so you're going to, most of your money comes from ads, but getting those ads depends on, you know, like they say, what you're selling, like I guess Neelai Patel said this, what you're really selling is moderation. And I mean, what you're also really selling is network effect like that. You cannot buy network effect. Believe me, people have tried. How many people use ping this week, right? You can't buy network effect, but 
you get so many people involved in this and they, they get like, you know, so wound up in this stuff. Uh, I can, can I mention one thing real quickly? Mm-hmm. Did I interrupt you? Oh, yeah, um, I'm going to put this in notes. This is a uh, TBD. Uh, so what next is a podcast I like a lot from slate. It's a, a daily podcast. And, uh, Lizzie O'Leary does a tech version on the weekend called TBD. They had a wonderful, terrifying piece the other day called big brother tech and China. And so you've probably heard about like, you know, what goes on in China? Like, well, there's a lot that goes on in China. One of the things that goes on in China that was really terrifying was basically installing a surveillance state. I'm going to cut to the chase. Installing a surveillance state for a particular particular region of the country. Which region of the country is where the Uyghurs live? The Muslim people who don't are less, if you like, Chinese than – they're really more culturally um, – they're not they're – not, culturally Chinese. So they installed this thing and they said, okay, there's going to be cameras everywhere. Um, they would call people in, especially people they were kind of concerned about. They would scan their faces, make them do. So like, think about the thing you do to get face ID to work. They were doing that for people. And then, oh, now do it with your mouth open and now give us, you know, a swab from your mouth and we're going to do this. And they basically created this entire like surveillance state to like be even more horrible to weaker people. And the thing that you can see coming from that is well, do you imagine that that's only ever going to be used in that region? Nope. China said, you know what? This thing worked out great. Let's put it everywhere. Let's take, you know, we've heard about this with London, right? And the, uh, all the surveillance, all the, um, CCTV, they call it. Yeah. Cameras like being everywhere. And I, yeah, I guess that, that, that's a good thing, but like, you know, it's uh, no Godwin, but you know, you start out just going like, oh, who cares about the Uyghurs? Like, well, of course we'll have them all on camera and we'll swab their mouth and all that stuff. But then that becomes part of all of China. And I, I don't mean to be doing this slippery slope fallacy, but that's kind of how I feel here. Like, if we agree that getting, I'm not just ragging on rewind, but if we do this kind of thing, do we imagine it's going to always remain something that we can just turn off and regulate on our own? Or does that get weaponized in the way almost everything gets weaponized whether that's the Uyghurs or the, the receptionist. Like, I don't love the idea of, for example, let's say having to use this app. No, oh, well, that's already here. Like, they already have, employers already have this exact tool for monitoring everything that goes on in their employees' screen. What, what makes you say that? What makes you say that? It's real software You can that employers use today for their employees that monitors what they do on their computer 24 hours a day. Similar to what you would do for, like, a rowdy, rowdy teen? Yeah, kind of like parental or whatever. It's basically, it's an, it, it runs on the work computer. So work owns the computer. So they're not making you install it on your computer. But it's the same basically thing. They want to know what their employees are doing. It logs your your keystrokes, what you're doing, what applications you use. Kind of like rescue time. And they also have the ability to just pull up your screen at any moment. Some of them also record, uh, you know, portions of your screen. This is a well-established, you know, and as you can imagine, employers love this, right? And there's no, there's no slippery slope or whatever because it's just your employer and it's their computer to begin with and blah, blah, blah. The best, the best sort of example of the, you know, the the police state type thing is is the police. Police uh, in our country have all sorts of tools that were originally designed and said we'll only use it on the the drug cartels. We'll only use it to fight terrorists. And every single oh, one you, of those. Oh, if you tools, say it's about terrorists and child uh, predators, like that's yeah. there's so much that, terrible that, stuff that comes that, in the that's side. That's how door. they get to use it. That's and how they get every you. single one of those things, eventually they say, you know, we're just going to use this on everybody. I know of it was course. supposed to be for terrorists. I know it was supposed to be for the drug cartel, but you know what? It's so useful. 
we're just using it on everybody. And it's like five years later, nobody notices. And so any tool you give to police for some special purpose will eventually be used on everybody. And that is much worse than your employer doing it. Oh, well, like when when Apple, remember the controversy? Of course you remember the controversy over when Apple would not actively help unlock the phones of the people, that couple who had like, I think they killed people at a holiday party or something, that horrible thing that happened. It might be five years ago now. And Apple's like, sorry, we're not going to help you with that. And there was such a dust up about it. You know, it's one of those like, um, you know, Reverend Lovejoy's uh, wife, sort of like who will think of the children kind of thing. And you're like, well, you know, <laughs> I, I hate to seem so like Talmudic about this, but like if we're not going to agree to unlock anything because the principle of people not having a phone, the principle of somebody having a phone that can't just be unlocked for a reason is not over overridden by some kind of... Uh, I don't know, cultural edge case that that's about a child in danger. It's it it always gets reused. It always yeah. gets weaponized. Uh, I wish I could remember of the, the canonical example of this from like my adolescence slash early adulthood of I think it was like a police thing where they could monitor all cell phone communications. Maybe it was back when cell phones oh, like were stingers. Is that what they're yeah, called? Yeah, maybe. Like whatever. Like that the justification for police having that was some specific scary circumstance. And, the, and it's so it just slid right into actually police just use this on every they use it for jaywalking. They use it for every they use it to spy on their wives to see if they're cheating on them. Like it's just, you know, it's so anyway, um, I mean, obviously, the the uh, totalitarian state in China is different than our police slightly, but the police love this type of stuff. And so, you, you know, don't give anyone in power any of these type of tools. If you, and, and the thing is, like, what stops that from happening? Well, in theory, over time, we eventually develop laws to account for technology. The telephone was once a new technology, and we developed laws for what is and isn't legal to do. Well, with, and, but with again, the John, like, like the ATM, the technology yeah. does not stand on its own. It uh, resides in the context of culture, law and technology and, and, re and regulation like that. We, we make up we make up laws for is it legal to tamper with the mail or is it a federal offense like that? The, once the mail system becomes a thing, we have to have laws surrounding the mail system and regulations that that protect it and make it a viable system. The telephone, what is and isn't legal to do over the telephone or the crimes that can be committed over the telephone. Can you record other people's conversations on the telephone? Yeah, which, as you say, is pretty mature compared to what we're talking about. Right. Here. And then every time new technology comes out, it takes sometimes generations for the laws to catch up. But the only way we can have technology and not become a Black Mirror episode is for uh, us to self-govern with our system of government where we make laws that make these systems useful and less harmful than they would be if it was a free-for-all. And stuff like this technology or the, the employees reporting the, the screen. Well, unfortunately, because of the power of corporations in this company, anything that an employer wants to do, an employee is probably going to get a, a green light from our Oh, yeah, they call it the right to government. work, John, right to yeah, work. It's, yeah. the, it's the company's computer anyway. And, you know, like, anyway, so that's that's a whole issue. But that's why those 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 pieces of software are already out in force all over the place. And as you can imagine, the less power the employees have, the more the employers use this. So fancy yeah. pants programmers doing front-end web development maybe don't have this because if they did, they would quit their job. But if you are, you know, just working somewhere at a lower level job where you have to use your computer, then you can bet you're being surveilled 24 hours or, you know, every every moment you're on a computer, they know everything you're doing. Yeah. Um, Matt Howie and I have, well, not, not as much recently, but, you know, back when we were both like, you know, do, mostly doing a blog, like as our thing or like doing blog related things. There's, there's like a conversation that we would have over and over. And one joke we used to make is that both of us are each one Firefox plug-in away from not having a career. We're like, any way that we could, as people say, monetize what we're doing, there's a plug-in that can keep that from happening. And you have to keep that in mind. And if that makes you super mad, you should be in another business. Like, 
sorry, like that's, that was one part of it. But then, you know, the other part was like, you know, it, it really is just kind of a matter of time before the technology that you would prefer to prop up forever sort of degrades into whatever the next thing is. And, you know, you, you cling so sort of hopelessly to that. I don't know. I still think about that a lot. I still think about like the, the, the wild west of that kind of stuff and like what's okay now. And like, there's a reason, for example, like that I say, well, I don't consider what I'm doing ad blocking. I consider it malware. Sorry. <clears throat> Three, two. I consider it malware blocking. Good job. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Burrow. You can learn more about Burrow right now by visiting burrow.com slash rd. That's B-U-R-R-O-W dot com slash rd. Friends, as the seasons change, and aren't they always changing? It's just something that seasons keep doing. Maybe you're thinking about having a change around your home. You know, it doesn't just have to be a, a full redecoration. Maybe just one great sofa or dresser can refresh your entire... They said refreshing, but I, but I want to say refresh. That might be an Englishism. You can refresh in your entire space and it'll make it feel like new. In any case, you have a space and it needs refreshing. So burrow, you know, uh, nobody wants the hassle of moving heavy furniture. You got to find a vehicle big enough to transport it. Boo. Not going to work on my Segway, I'll tell you that. And then you got to find some big, strong man to help you with the heavy lifting or they. Now, if you're a longtime listener of Rectifs, that's what I call it. You'll know there's a furniture brand that's already taken care of all of that. That's burrow. Burrow offers fast, free shipping on every order, which can save you an average of $100 on large items like the titular couch. And Burrow designs for the way that you live. Their credenzas have uh, cool, adjustable height interior shelves and cord organizing holes. They have cord organizing holes at each corner, as are the perfect for any TV. Well, any TV? I'll ask John about that. Burrow is just so easy to shop for. So, so, so spare yourself, you know, the dreaded warehouse trip and the shop shopping online, you do it all with them. Everything's designed to work perfectly together in your living space. So all you got to do is add to cart, bing, boop, beep, put it in cart, beep, boop. Plus their world-class support team is available for whenever you need them. That's so good to know. And Burrow's new Union Collection is their biggest, deepest, plushest, widest modular seating designed to date. That's the Union Collection. Go check it out. The unique fabric is easy to clean and stain resistant while still being super soft and comfortable. And that still gets shipped to your door for free. And it's a breeze to build. No tools needed. It's Burrow, you guys. Go check it out. So right now, you're going to get $75, 75 American dollars off your first order. You go to burrow.com slash RD. That's B-U-R-R-O-W dot com slash RD. And $75 off. Not too bad. Union collection. Burrow.com slash RD. Say it thrice, and it's almost like praying our thanks to Burrow for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Sorry, I haven't eaten. I keep looking at these onion rings. That'll be in my live stream. I don't know, man. Like, there's, I, I, I do see the value in this, but it's, I mean, okay, so I don't know. Like, for example, I'm always, do you remember how great it was in some ways, like in, after the bust and what came to be called Web 2.0 started? And there was almost this like gift economy of people making these incredible, very mature, very, you know, bespoke web apps. I think in particular of things like 
uh, pin board, which I'm still using. Right. I think about you can think about Flickr, like, but there were all these like You're thinking you know, of delicious, which is what pinboard spawned well, out of, right? Joshua made delicious and it got weird. But like pinboard continues to have like an amazing API that lets you do all the stuff. Yeah, delicious to an extent. But like there's just all these things that like worked really well and you wouldn't hesitate a second to like sign up for that and at least, you know, play with it. And now today, like it, it I just it's like opening my when I open my mail over the recycling, I'm just trying to figure out which one of these things is is something that's that's trying to like you know steal my stuff and yeah i don't know i don't know i the carrot of being able to remember what i want to do is really offset by the stick of what they're doing with what they've learned yeah i know but but i feel like once it becomes uh you know cheap enough to do the the utility is just too attractive like the example i give on atp is how acclimated we all came to carrying around a device that tracks our location yes. all the time yeah really good yeah right and and it's just and, and that didn't even require us to die which is convenient for us um because sometimes you need a generational turnover that some people are just never going to accept a certain thing but the next generation will find it commonplace whether it's atm machines or carrying yourself on the tracks you all the time or whatever uh, but some things have enough utility that within a generation, people who are still alive will eventually come to accept it. This one might need a generational turnover. First of all, it's not close enough tech-wise to be essentially free. But once it is, the utility is tremendous to be able to, you know, it's like and extend it farther than the screen of your Mac, obviously, but just to your entire life. Like eventually if we have, you know, you know, hundreds of years now, whatever, we got things that look like the glasses we're both wearing now or that I'm wearing now anyway, they recorded our entire life and that we can yeah. recall and then and that we had imagine a utopian version laws in the book that protected this. And it was quite, you know, it was encrypted with a private key with a system that we had established that that law enforcement can't force you to open. And like all the, like if all the supports were there. Yeah. But like, what about the children? If it's like a it's like a dirty, hairy situation and there's a kid in a water tower and you got to get to it or a ticking bomb scenario so much of that stuff suddenly like falls aside yeah, or j- just for your own utility to be able to i mean again the, the black mirror episode shows the downside of being able to recall any moment in your life right you know but like there is there is tremendous utility because people do want to keep it it's the same reason that google search and spotlight and stuff have utility to people they don't have the same privacy implications although google, google search kind of does but like i think the utility of this outweighs the downsides in the long term it's just that it's, how long it's up. It, it's definitely early days. Yeah. To, how long does it decide, take before yeah. we can do this essentially for free? And then how long does it take for us to shore up the edges of this so it becomes not the worst thing in the entire world? Because like <laughs> right now, just in an unregulated version of this from a VC funded startup, it's just no thanks, right? We're, we're right. I'm interested in it as a technical curiosity, but you can see all the scary downsides. But eventually th- 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 I feel thank like you for happen. your assurance but i think i'm still gonna be somewhat circumspect yeah. yeah and this is the time to do it by the way like they're at the beginning of their lifetime they just got their big whatever whatever round of funding they're on like they're not at the point yet where they've said well you know they they ditch the original founders and someone new has come in and they they need to turn on the money spigot to pay back their vcs and they got another round of funding and they turn on the yes. ad, like that's gonna happen later so if you yeah, want to play with it's this, gonna be it's gonna be totally free but wow, what they get out of that being free for you, my goodness, that's... Yeah, I mean, we'll say, again, I think I believe this crew, that's the way startups always yeah. work. The people who found it all have the best intentions, but eventually they get yeah. booted out and someone comes in to have to make money or they just get bought out by somebody and then the other company owns it. Anyway, if you want to try it, try it now. It's, this is the safest time to try this. Yes. Bugs aside, obviously. Well, well in the so the second part of the Matt Howie anecdote, so the first, first part is like, oh my gosh, Firefox plugins could like basically destroy my ability to to run dumb ads. But you know, the corollary conversation, I'm pretty sure this was Matt. We would talk about the like 
I don't want to use the word ghetto, but like, I, you know, this, uh, like right now running stuff like wiper, you know, some people run stuff like vinegar. Like there's all these ways where like some of it's convenience of like, I don't want to have to pay to not see YouTube ads, which, you know, I, I get it. I do pay for YouTube premium. It's worth every nickel to me, but I understand that. But like, this was apparent, like even in the mid two thousands that there's really a digital underclass. And so like Matt and I would talk about like, you know, again, running Firefox, Matt and me and Jesse Garrett, I got a photo of the three of us at the launch party for Mozilla at DNA. Like I was super interested in, in this stuff. But the other, like I said, the corollary to that conversation is there's a digital underclass that is living a completely different life than what I lead. Because I know about Firefox in 19, or whatever that was, 2002, probably, or three. But I, I knew about Firefox. I knew about, um, God, what was it called? Platypus? There was one. Grease Monkey. Grease Monkey was the thing that let you modify. Grease Monkey was the one where, and there's still elements of this that you still feel today. Like, you know, even in my, my basic ass blockers I've got now, I've got things where I can mouse over and hit delete to remove something temporarily. But I guess it was Grease Monkey. But there was another one where you could specifically, running it, you could be on a page and it would excavate like into the code to figure out like the the revolving IDs that they gave to this particular kind of, you know, X10 style ad. Um, and I would do that and I would pursue that and I would keep up with that. But then on the other hand, you go and you visit your relatives running, a, forgive my saying, a PC. And you're like, I, I've had neighbors or rather... I've had family members who like put their PC on the street. They just said, that's it. I'm done. A apparently every two years, I just need to buy a new PC because this thing is so riddled with viruses and there's so many pop-ups and all of these things. And, and every website they visited would install another bar in Internet Explorer. Remember those bars that would get I installed? I totally like, do. Bars, and would just slowly <laughs> encroach on the space where you could see the page and slowly grind your system to the vault. It was great. Huh, I, don't, I don't remember installing a bar that lets me see stocks. I don't remember that. But that's that's the other side of that, though. Like, for me, I'm like, oh, gosh, I, I really hope there's not blockers that make it so that I can't, you know. <laughs> and and really, it is it is a funny kind of Dr. Strangelove thing where now today, you know, the since Safari made it more difficult to get extensions, and they seem to have slightly, I don't know, I don't think they put a lot of wood behind the arrow of saying, like, oh, let's make it easy to move things from Chrome extensions to Safari extensions. But, like, I've got one called, I think it's called uBlock. Where in Google returns, like whether that's on, you know, Google basic, basic ass returns, images, whatever, you can block a domain and say like, look, I, I do a lot of searches for images as much as there is great stuff on Pinterest. I don't want to see Pinterest in returns because like, I just don't, I don't want to deal with Pinterest and I don't want to deal with Facebook. Facebook serves a low res version of all of their images and I just don't want to deal with that. So, but that's the what do you call it? The escalating war that we've got. We're like, there's plugins on top of plugins. There's technology on top of, top of technology. Somebody's always trying to figure out how to wheeze your juice. And like, if you don't have the background and the curiosity and the, I don't know, the tenacity, the, the something to like keep up with it. Like it's, it's, it really sucks. I watching somebody use a computer without that stuff is harrowing to me. It's sort of like we talked about what a couple of weeks ago, about like, oh my God, I know the consequences of getting this wrong and watching you do it another way is incredibly stressful to me. This is vaguely related, but I had an occasion to be in an Apple store and I got to watch this person 
uh, their phone was running low and they they recognized what it was the Apple's MagSafe puck was on the table. It was like snaking up from the middle, like a gap between the two wooden tables. And they're like, I'm going to I'm going to put my it was like an iPhone. It was uh, I think it was an iPhone 12 uh, Max, maybe. Anyway, I'm going to I'm going to put my iPhone on this MagSafe puck and watching this person try to accomplish that task and failing. Oh, God, I do it every night. Every really every long time. single night, John. And just when I think I've gotten good at doing a no look drop onto the puck, I realize how wrong but I am. You're saying like you like you miss like the first. I'm saying this person could not successfully accomplish the task after like two and a half minutes. Could not put the phone down in a way that the magnet got it. Phone down, so- slap the thing on the back. Like no combination. Of this thing at some at one point, about halfway through, the person took the case off their phone. Which is totally logical. Oh, may- maybe it can't get to the magnet part. Yeah, uh, there was a, a long series of times when the person was putting it on backwards, like having the just the, the metal part facing the phone instead of the part that has the white circle on it, right? I've done that with my AirPods. I do that with my AirPods twice a week. I, I set it down the wrong way. In and the I say this not to say, oh, look at this dummy. I'm saying this because every the, the things that we take for granted are not as easy as we think they are. Only Just because you know about them because you're a, a computer nerd or whatever, like how... How actually obvious and user-friendly is this to someone who's never seen it before? Right. And, and we, which leads people into why don't you just syndrome? Yeah. Magnets. It was, it was exacerbated by the fact that the cord was a little bit too short. So the person was reaching across the table. It was just, it was so it like, it's just such a, such a wake up call to like, just because you know how this works and have dealt with the foibles so much that you are disappointed with yourself when you can't get it on the first or second try. Someone who like has no experience and just want, I mean, they, they knew it was a charger and they wanted to make it happen, but they just yeah. couldn't do it. Like, this is not a great showing for, uh, for Apple's products. Yeah. Yeah. And they even, they, someone from the, and the reason like, you say, why didn't you go over and help them? Someone from the Apple store came over to help them almost immediately and said, let me help you with that. And the, and the person said, oh, what phone do you have? Just to make sure it was MagSafe. Like, you know, is it, is it one of the ones that you can charge with MagSafe? Yes, it was one of the ones that can charge with MagSafe. Can you tell Apple- just by looking at it? I mean, I like with the case on, like, so I'm looking at mine. I have an iPhone. I mean, I mean the Apple store person just asked just to make sure. I don't no, actually know. Like the- I, have an, I have an iPhone 14 Pro and I, oh gosh, my, it wants to play audio to my HomePod. Um, there's not a big symbol on here that says. No, there's not a place that tells here. you where it's supposed to go. And if you have like a 10R or something, I think the 10R was pre-MagSafe. Or, like there are phones that look very similar to phones that support MagSafe, but don't. Because it so used to be like, how many lenses can you see on the back of the camera? Like when you're watching TV, can mm-hmm. you like, can you like no scope, like exactly what their phone is? Yeah, oh, it's tricky now because like the the like the like 13 and the 14 have this very similar looking camera and camera ups, not the pro ones, but Anyway, the Apple Store employee came, asked them if they had, you know, what phone do you have? And they said, like, oh, yeah, that one has MagSafe. It should, it should snap right on with magnets. And then the Apple Store person left. And they continued to struggle with it. And it's like, oh, man, like, it, things are not as easy as you as you think they are. And so in terms of, like, digital underclass of, like, things we take for granted, of course, everyone knows oh, about God. Grease Monkey. And, of course, you're using Firefox and not IE. And it's like, no. John, no, this, that's John not- this, could, this could legit be an entire podcast. It wouldn't be a good podcast, but it really could be. The sort of, this is one of those, like we joke about the, you know, every day somebody's born who hasn't seen the Flintstones, but like that is, that is so real for so many things. And like, I, I would never say you should be like me, but I hope you can benefit from me having been like me, which is to give little tips. I'll tell you one, I'll tell you here's one right now. Uh, God, this must've been like five years ago, but you guys, somebody described the gesture 
to bring up uh, this app switcher. The multitasking switcher on the phone, yeah. Was it, you described it, somebody described it as being like a J. It was like an L shape. You go up, you you stop. And and it, you but it right. was like a perfect encapsulation of exactly what I needed to know. You know what I mean? I mean, like and, you said, and the, the other thing about that is that's not actually the gesture, but that is a thing that if I tell it to you and you perform it, it will work. And there's a slight difference between the two. It, it's a, it's a, it's effective for that purpose. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, like it's not entirely different from turn it off and on. Like I don't know why that works. I, mm-hmm. I don't know how many papers exist in the world that explain why turning it off and on works. Why does turning it off and on? Well, for one thing, is it resets a bunch of ca- bunch of caches. It does a bunch of stuff, and it basically forces a bunch of stuff to go back to its state. Like I, all you need to know. I don't need to explain to you why it works to turn it off and on. But like, there's a reason that's such a tenant of customer service that it's that's become a cliche. And the idea of saying to somebody, like, they could watch the, I mean, how many YouTube videos do you have to watch when you could just say, make an L? Yep. And I think of the L one is, I, I think the thing that is the secret to it is really is just pull up from the bottom and then stop. But if you tell people to make an L, they have to stop their thumb to make the right turn or the left turn. And so yeah. that basically, if you just tell them go up and then stop, there's lots of ways they can mess that up. And if you tell them to make an L, they know what an L is, and there's no way to draw it without having the little pause. And so it works. You, um, this was your year. You got a new iPhone, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so, like, do you, you have an iPhone 14, you previously had. I got a new, new iPhone. What I'm, What is on my desk right no, now is no. an iPhone that I just picked up from the Apple store today. The devil, you say? What, what do you got there? What is it? It's a 14 Pro. Okay, so we both have a 14 Pro. I have the non-giant one. Yeah, this is my second 14 Pro, though. What, what do you keep losing the other one, or did you, no, you the give it to somebody? Bad. Oh, bad camera. Bad camera. Um, But, like... I, I like a lot about this phone, a lot, a lot about it. And I, I like a lot about the OS, but the way, and I guess this could vary depending on how you set it up, but uh, notifications, two things, two things have changed in a way that's meaningful. Like it's all we, we've had uh, before focus, we had basic DND. Now we've got focus where there's like so many different ways you can kind of accidentally clobber yourself and miss things. But like, I, I've had this for, I don't know, a month or so at least. And I, I like, I still kind of, I don't have a high level of confidence about how, what I need to do to see notifications. Cause sometimes it feels like you can grab by the camera, like outside the thing and pull down. But oh, like, you mean, did you change the setting and in, in settings? To- I have them, I have it set to, and, and again, this, this also is alongside focus. This is alongside what kind of things should be in notifications, right? Alongside, when I say that, I mean like, does this, do you get just critical alerts? Do you get immediate delivery? Do you get, show this in a collection? Like, you know, when you first agree to notifications, you can really kind of screw yourself up with that stuff. But then on top of it all, you've got, uh, you've got this thing where like, yeah, do you feel confident that you can just do a flick and find your, do you know where your notifications are and how to do them? Something that has always bothered me about notifications on iOS is that there is no place, as far as I know, uh, where the dismissed notifications go. And I think there should be because it should be a freaking live stream. Like, uh, you know, yes, I, I, if I wrangle a bunch of notifications, there should be like a big dividing line. Like, here's the notifications. Uh, that you- c- can I say can I say it's a little bit like Mark read in, in your in a reader? Like, it doesn't go away. It's still right. there. I can get to it. But like if I accident and like. Jesus Christ, interacting with notifications. I'm not complaining, but like the interacting with notifications, like there's some things you do by doing a long press on the notification. There's other things you do by 
by pressing the notification and pulling down. And then, of course, there's other things you do by swiping from mm-hmm. right to left with the yep. notification. So I think if I could say, because I'm 50, pushing 56, it's not difficult to accidentally dismiss a notification that you actually super wanted. Yeah. And then how do you get it back? Where did it go? Oh, or like, let's be honest, like maybe you're young and this never happens to you, but like, what was that notification from? Mm-hmm. Like if you've been away for a while and you're going fluka, 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 or, you know, I mean, there's, there's great things that probably not everybody knows. Like, for example, did you know that like when you scroll down a little in your notification, you open your notifications, you got an X on the right. You scroll down a little more, there's another X. Like, you know, you do know, not you, but the listener, do you know you can do a long press on that X to dismiss all? That's amazing. But wait a minute. What if the second after I take my thumb off, it's like taking your hand off your um, off your bishop in chess. Like that's your move now. If you, you know what I'm talking about? You do the long press on the X mm-hmm. for clear all. Well, like Michael Stipe said, where's my notifications? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there should, it should just be a big divide line between the ones you have dismissed and haven't. And, you know, you shouldn't accidentally be able to fall into the ones that you've seen because you don't want to feel like you didn't dismiss them, but you should be able to get to them again. They yeah. should live for a yeah. while. Did you, I put this setting, look at your messages. I sent you the, the setting and notifications where it, by default, it comes in the middle one stack. Um, let me look. So if you go into settings and go into notifications at the very top, it says display as, and you've got count, stack, or list. Mine is in stack. Put it in list. You'll be okay. happier. All right, I'll try that. Well, I'll give you another example. And just because I'm problematizing this because there's this not hydra-like quality, but a slightly fractal quality to all of this stuff. Like, do you have notifications on? Well, uh, I think so. Okay, you've got notifications on. Like, are, do you have your, because notifications is also where you go to show badges. Like, there's so many apps where I never want to see the notifications on the badge. Well, that's in notifications. All right, cool, cool, cool. And then the, the notifications that you see will change based, can change based upon the focus that you're in. I guess that's good. But let's go even deeper. I have a bunch of sensors in my house. One of the sensors I have in my house is, like, if I'm waiting, for example, for, like, a piece of mail, I have a sensor in my mail area. So, like, <laughs> I have a sensor in the where the mail goes in the garage that will let me know if somebody's in that room. I have a sensor on my garage door to let me know if it's open or closed and how long. And I have a sensor in where the mail lands. Now, slightly off topic here, I would love a way to say, give me notifications of movement in the mail area when there's not movement of the garage door. There's currently not a simple way to do that. But but how about this? Well, what if I want notifications to like, I got a check coming, right? And I'll be real anxious to see if it gets here. What do I do? Well, I have an, I can turn on a notification for pretty much any sensor. All my CO and fire and smoke sensors for my smart fire alarms are they're always on. So give me a notification if there's ozone or you know carbon monoxide or whatever, right? It's all of that. Those are per device. So do not I'm sorry, they're per device functionality. So I mean. I can go in and say, like, on this, the sensor that exists to tell me if there's mail, turn that on. There's a different, this is good, but it's good to know. This is weird, it's deep, it's fractal. There's another one that says, do you want to see any notifications about this thing? Do you want to see notifications from a home in general? You do that at the notifications level. Do you want to see immediate delivery? Do you want to see critical alerts? Do you want to see them as they come? But then the individual things, you you do in all of that. What I'm trying to get across is, yay, I'm glad that I have that level of power. Uh, 
yay minus, I wish there were more ways to, to use a combination of those. Only give me an alert if there's movement in the mail area and not at the garage door because the garage door affects the mail area. You follow what I'm saying? There's so many ways that this, and on top of it all, what if I accidentally hit a thing, I'm out of town and he needs to know if the cat's stuck in the bathroom or whatever. Like, I, it's so easy to accidentally flip that thing away once you've found it and then not know what to do next. There's a lot going on. And I don't think all those gestures and all of those consequences are known to the average bear. Yeah, I think people just work on it more of a more of a surface level where they have they have something they know what to do with them. Maybe all they know how to do is dismiss them. And if they accidentally dismiss one without reading it and can't get it back, they just consider that like the people are very easy to very ready to blame themselves. Like I'm sure that person who couldn't put their phone on the charger was blaming themselves. Like that's what people do with technology products. Instead of saying this is poorly designed or poorly thought out or you know, right. here's the ways this could be better. They blame themselves. They're like, because oh, our primary you know. driver is shame, and we yeah, don't like want, I we should, don't want I people should to see know how to do this, and dumb. I don't. Instead yes, of thinking exactly. like this, this could have better better affordances to let me know how I'm supposed to use it. Um, you sent me the screen grab of notifications, count, stack, and list. I've changed it to list. And so that means I don't have to do the pull up from the bottom to see it on the home screen. They still bunch up, but they're less bunched up. They still they don't take up the whole screen. They still kind of say in the bottom half, but they're less. Do you think up. it's confusing? I, I can't decide if this is cool or confusing, neither or both. But when I get a little stack right now, I'm looking at my screen notification center. It's in do not disturb. So I do full on do not disturb when I'm doing a podcast. Whereas if I'm just hanging out at home, I have one that turns on automatically at seven. That's just called personal. So like personal will let me get, you know, uh, <laughs> I need to eat like DoorDash deliveries. It'll let me get uh, messages from my family, but not anybody else. I do full on do not disturb. So the first tile at the top here says while in, while in do not disturb. And then it says evening summary and home. And then underneath that it implies there's a pile there. So I click on that, right? Yeah. To show me like what's in that stack. Uh, Here, I'll get a I, screen grab so you see what I'm talking about. I think so. I don't have no. <laughs> well, I guess, I guess what I'm to... saying is like the consequences, I'm not, I don't mean to make a huge deal out of this. Yeah, yeah like you don't want to accidentally dismiss them all when you didn't get to deal with yeah, them. But like, what does touching the notification mean? I think that launches Sometimes the app exposes, associated with the notification. No, I think first thing it does is it exposes the stack. Mm. If you got three reminders while yeah, you're if, on, but if, if it's already exposed, like tell is this a, is this a notification fully if exposed? If it's already exposed can, and you've done the equivalent of of like the the finger gesture to like okay, I see there's three reminders here. First it was a stack, and now there's three reminders. I, I believe if you click on the reminder, it'll take you to the reminders app. Like that's kind of what you'd expect. But you know, it's uh, there's an app I'm using right now. Uh, I'm, I'm beta testing something they're doing and, uh, shoot, what was the name? Oh, they, they made a, a change that might seem subtle. It's definitely going to seem weird to people, but I think it's really cool. Like if you go to your RSS reader, you go to your mail, there's a, there's a term that we've been using for a really long time, which is read and unread. And they made this subtle distinction in, this is a aggregator bookmarking and reading service, seen versus unseen. Is that kind of an interesting distinction? Yeah. I mean, especially if the, like they're talking about the line item that appears in a list versus the thing that is hiding under that line item. Well, I mean, the hack for this for years has been putting something in preferences in, in a reader style app, putting something in preferences that says, uh, oh, how many seconds before I count this as something that you've read is the hack for that. 
but I don't what know. Is it, what answer. was your setting on that? Um, I'm trying, I can't even remember where I did it, but usually I would say, I think, I, I think I just said immediately, like, yeah, cause I was, I, always, know I was always an instant person. I think I like, so. I don't because like computers like, making me wait. I don't want you to guess. I'd rather tell you than have you prompt me. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't like that heuristic at all. And it, because what would happen is I would, I would want to mark it as red by highlighting it. And I wouldn't want to wait the one second. I wouldn't want to wait the 0.25 seconds. It was always had to be on immediate. <laughs> yeah, I can always come back to that. But why do, you, why do you have that level of confidence with that? Because you've been using email for a long time and you understand and, and that- And you can, and I memorize the keyboard shortcut for Mark is unread again. So if I mess it up, it's really easy to undo. Yeah, so for me, like, God, there's so many gestures in Gmail. You, uh, we've talked about this. But like, for example, one that I'm constantly using, let's see, like, I like have to close my eyes. Uh, asterisk- is it asterisk, asterisk, A, I, capital E. Select all of these, mark them as red, and move them to archive. Yeah, I'm so, I, I've screwed myself up so bad with Gmail because I customized the keystrokes when Gmail first came out and let you do that. And oh, now no. I have no idea what the real Gmail keystrokes are. Uh, so when I go on like someone else's account and I try to yeah. use Gmail, I just destroy their mail because I'm typing you've got, stuff. You've in. got the quick the Quicksilver effect. Yeah, I, which is yeah, I feel I, like I, I'm I suddenly type, playing a different piano. Yeah, it's like it's like the the, the keyboard is in Dvorak or something. Like my keystrokes <laughs> yeah, don't yeah, do right, what right, I expect right. them to this do. This might as well be Martian. Yeah. Well, I'm, I I don't mean to to seem too complaining about this because I I know these are difficult problems to solve and you know people have different needs, but like. I mean, well, in that instance, like I was, I was just going to say, like you, you're, you, when you've clicked the like little miniature pop-up notification style, uh, let, let's say you got an email. If you're the kind of person who has notifications about email, God bless you. I hope your life is going well. But like, let's say you get that, right? In the same way that you get, like I get like notifications about text messages mostly. Um, but the idea of like clicking on that and going, oh crap! I actually I don't have time to deal with this. The idea of, with email is that, like, oh, you understand that's still in the list. It's just that now it's not bold anymore. Now it is, as you as you might say, marked as red. But where do notifications? Where do all the other notifi notifications live? Like that, I understand the abstraction of that email notification means that back in my email app, I've now got an unread email. But I think part of what you're saying is in the paradigm of this, like, I don't think most of us have a real clear idea. If, if you get a warning about your bank account, you can click on that and go to your bank account. You get a notification about your email, you can click and go to the email. But like, when you get a notification from home, like, where does it take you? What can you expect to see there? And how can you find it if you didn't mean to click it? Or even just as simple as like, say you do get a notification from your home security camera and you tap on it because it looks like something as bad is happening and it launches into your home security app, but like there's a bug and instead of it like deep linking you into the event for whatever it's trying to show you, it just ends up landing you on like the home screen of your of your security app. Which is which is really which is really very common. Right. And you're like, oh, well, that's a, that's a bug. Maybe maybe it was it had problems deep linking because the security app wasn't running. What you want to do is go back to the notification and you get a second bite at the app. Let me try tapping it again. Maybe it will work this time, which is a reasonable thing to think given the way right. software works. Or you frantically shake it thinking maybe that'll like, right. there's so many but, things but that you can't, you can't shake, go back shake to that. doesn't undo anymore. <laughs> yeah, you can't go back to I've shake. I just shook my, today I shook my phone to try to oh, undo it. I, I shake my phone sad. all the time because I, I still keep thinking it's, I guess, 2010 right. and it will it's, work. There's so work. much stuff that will not undo. the gesture or the whatever, the undo gesture even that doesn't what? Work i don't know there. that what is that what is that it's like three finger or something or other i don't know on, it, on an iphone yeah you know the undo gesture okay you need to no i don't know that at all you need to send me that 
I never right. actually do it. it John, see, this is going to be so much easier once you're on staff. Three finger and swipe to undo. I think you are going to be very happy in this position. And I, I've got to say, your dream has come true. You're going to be running. I mean, I'm, I'm still, obviously, I'm talking to to, uh, to Rewind. I'm talking to a lot of people. I'm going to have total access to your computer all the time. So a lot of times, like as my employee or as my, if you like, associate, I will be able to just kind of um, VNC in and I'll be able to like go through and find the things I need. I could probably just go through your code to find what I need. I think it's going to be a great, it's going to be a great move for you. The only thing I'm going to give you access to is my 24 hour tow camera and that's it. Mm. <laughs> should, should, should have done a spit take. 20, oh, we did it again? Too late.